Good morning, everybody. It is such a pleasure to be here in the Bradenton area. Uh, again, I don't know if any of you happen to know that I used to be the former pastor at Whitfield Estates Presbyterian Church uh, several years ago, so it's good to be back here and uh, with our brothers and sisters at, at Kirkwood. Uh, currently, I'm working with Thornwell Home for Children, and I'm just curious, before we read our scripture, uh, how many of you are familiar with Thornwell? Anybody? So how, how many are not familiar with Thornwell? That's, all right, that's a good, about half and half. Uh, how many of you know that uh, you are in partnership with Thornwell, and we have one of our staff members that actually works out of this church? And I'm assuming the other half doesn't know that. So, all right. <laughs> well, good. We'll, we'll be sharing some enlightening information for you today. Um, anyway, it is good to be with you, and let us um, join in prayer real quick before we head into our, our scripture. Uh, be our vision, O Lord, and as we prepare to read Scripture, we ask that you silence all the outside noise and speak clearly to us the message that you have for us this day. And more than that, we pray that you will send us out from this place with courage to act upon what we have heard. We make this our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Our first reading is from Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 35, and I'm intentionally stopping it before the good part, uh, but we'll come back to the good part, I promise, before the end. So here it goes. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us? Will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship, our distress, our persecution, our famine, our nakedness, our peril, our sword? And now let's go on over to our second reading this morning, 1 John chapter 3 verses 11 through 18. Once again, listen for God speaking to us. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We must not be like Cain, who was from the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be astonished, brothers and sisters, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love one another. Whoever does not love abides in death. All who hate a brother or sister are murderers, and you know that murderers do not have eternal life abiding in them. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's good and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses help? Little children, let us love not in word or speech, but in truth and action. May God bless this reading of his holy scripture. All right, let's see if we can get that flipped over. Perfect. Today my scripture is based mostly on 1 John chapter 3. And there's some debate, or scholarly debate, about who wrote 1 John. It has long been established that 1 John was written by the same author who wrote the Gospel of John, and that's been the traditional setting. But here lately, uh, modern scholarship has questioned that. 
uh, whether it may be another John or perhaps a Billy or something. <laughs> they think it might be, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, they think it's a, they might be another John. And so, you know, I'm kind of a biblical scholar and I read all of the arguments for uh, it being the author of the Gospel of John. I read all of the modern scholarship about it could possibly be another, um, another author. And I have come to the conclusion that 1 John was written by Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill is quoted with this quote that's on the, on the screen back here. If you have an important point to make, don't try to be subtle or clever. Use a pile driver, hit it once, then come back and hit it again, and then hit it a third time. A tremendous whack. See if you, I bet by the time I'm done, you will agree that Winston Churchill wrote the first John. Because he's saying do what? Make a point how many times? All right, well, let's go to 1 John chapter 1. We declare to you what was from the... Okay, well, there's our first point. Let's go to 1 John chapter 2, verse 11. For this is the... Whoops, what happened? Huh? Are we good? Chapter 2. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have had from the... Now let's jump to 1 John chapter 3. For this is the message that you have heard from thee. And what is the message? Have you heard that before? Does everybody agree now that Winston Churchill wrote 1 John? <laughs> How many sermons have you heard over your life? We should love one another. We've heard it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Why? No, because you are stubborn and you don't listen. <laughs> That's the cool thing about being the guest pastor. You can say anything you want. <laughs> and it, it just get done and leave. <laughs> We've heard this message over and over and over again. Any, any um, fans of the Fab Four, of the Beatles? Any fans of the Beatles? What do they tell us? All you need is... All you need, we should sing that. Get the band back up here, let's go. <laughs> but I, as much as, you know, all we need is love is, you know, the, the theme song, I think the Fab Four got it wrong. Here's the lyrics. There's nothing you can do that can't be done, nothing you can sing that can't be sung, nothing you can say, but you can learn how to play the game. It's our children's sermon nailed that perfectly. Is it always easy to love? Even the, and it's almost like the text knows it because the very next verse, right after it says, if you've heard this message from the beginning, we should love one another, Cain and Abel. <laughs> Brothers who should have. It's almost like the text is just screaming. Wow, the hardest place to practice this is where? In our families. And even, I mean, how many of you have been married? Like, this is, this is the youth group version of church, so... <laughs> How many of you have been married 20 years or more? 30 years or more? 40 years or more? 50? 40? All right, go back to my 40s. I'm going to test my theory here. Was it easy? <laughs> Normally when I ask that question, the guy just sits there like, I'm not answering that question. And the wife's over there going... 
But they were in harmony, so <laughs> awesome. And here's the whole point of saying all that. Say it with me. Love is not, love is hard. And I want to tie this into Thornwell now because it is often our kids, our children, that are the brunt of having that hardship of not having a good, healthy, loving relationship. Let me get this to click. There we go. This is from the kids say the darndest things, and it's profound stuff. What mom and dad have in common, Lori says, age eight, both don't want no more kids. Eddie, age six, was asked, how do you tell if two people are married? Married people usually look happy to talk to other people. (laughs) And you might have to guess whether they're married, Derek, age eight, says, to see if they're they're yelling at the same kids. (laughs) Anita, age nine, was asked, you know, how do we know about love? And Anita says, when somebody's been dating for a while, the boy might propose to the girl. He says to her, I'll take you for a whole life or at least until we have kids and get divorced. (laughs) We're not fooling our kids here at all. John, age nine, was asked, what is love? Love is like an avalanche where you have to run for your life. Kenny, age seven, it gives me a headache to think about that stuff. I'm just a kid. I don't need that kind of trouble. (laughs) I love this last one because it... I don't think he was trying to make this point, but he does of how often kids, it is painful for kids and their families. I think you're supposed to get shot with an arrow or something, Manuel says, but the rest of it isn't supposed to be so painful. But here's some, I mean, I'm going to throw a lot of statistics at you, and we're going to go through this pretty quickly, but I'm going to throw a lot of statistics at you. And then I'm going to give you some real-life stories of what those statistics look like. So here's just a flood of statistics coming. You ready? Oh, can we back that one up? Domestic violence in 2010. Law enforcement, uniform crime reflected that there are 113,000 incidents of domestic violence were reported in Florida. 67,000-plus arrests. In 2010, 210 people died. Because of domestic violence, being in a relationship where they're they're supposed to be loving each other, 210 people, 21% of all homicides in Florida are a result of domestic violence. And who pays the price for that most often? Oops. During fiscal year 2010, Florida-certified domestic violence shelters provided almost a half a million nights of emergency shelter to almost 16,000 survivors of domestic violence and their children. At Thornwell, we believe it should not hurt to be a child. That's our core belief. We, it should not hurt to be a child. Yet in Florida alone, 2010, 51,920 were victims of child abuse or neglect. 13% of those kids were less than a year old, 38% of them less than four. That's more than 50%, less than four years old, kids are being abused. 55% suffered from neglect, 10% suffered from physical abuse, just under 5% suffered from sexual abuse. 47.2% of the victims of child abuse were white, 294 were African American, and 17.2% came from Hispanic families. 
74% of the victims were maltreated by their parents, and 133 children died in 2010 because of child abuse and neglect in Florida. So what happens? You see, you see the number here, 51,920 children. Well, where do those kids go if the state comes in and, and pulls them out? Foster care. In Florida, so it's 51,000 possible kids. In Florida today, there's approximately 8,000 foster families. Where do the rest go? The trend today is that they go with their grandparents. Look at these numbers. In the most recent Census Bureau, 2.4 million of the nation's families are maintained by grandparents who have one or more of their grandchildren living with them, an increase of 19% since 1990. These families comprise 7% of all families with children. I'll tell you this story. Our president, Elliot Smith, who spoke here last year, was at his doctor's appointment, and the doctor was telling him the story of an 87-year-old and an 89-year-old who were just granted custody of their twin six-month-old great-grandchildren. Anybody want to sign up for that gig? <laughs> 3.9 million, 6% of children in the United States live with grandparents. That's up 76% from 1970. Uh, at Westminster Shores, across the bridge, St. Pete, we have a family right now. Um, their kids got in trouble, and the grandkids were removed and placed with the grandkids. What does Westminster Shore not allow at their, at their place? Dogs over 50 pounds and grandkids. Not allowed, right, Mark? <laughs> so where do they go? Well, they place their kids up at Thornwell. And it's, kinda, it's not a good analogy, but it's kind of like boarding school. They come home for summer or for Christmas break, but they live up there. Uh, at Thornwell in South Carolina. Those of you who do not know what Thornwell is or where Thornwell is, it's in Clinton, South Carolina. Started in 1875, right next to Presbyterian College. They were started by the same pastor. 140 years ago, was really concerned about children uh, who were orphans from the Civil War. So we have 140 years of history of taking care of kids who have been abused or neglected. Most of our kids today come from the state of South Carolina having been removed from the home. Uh, and then Georgia and Florida, like I gave you the story of the grandparents who have their kids privately placed up there. So that's Thornwell. How are we doing in child welfare? Well, South Carolina is ranked 45th. Georgia is ranked 42nd. And Florida leads the way of the Senate of South Atlantic. Uh, we're ranked 38th out of 50 states in how well we take care of our kids. And why do I list those three states? South Carolina, Georgia, and Florida. Good Presbyterian polity people. It is our synod, that's correct. And Thornwell is in covenant relationship through our synod, meaning all churches in those three states help support uh, Thornwell's mission. So that's why we list those three states. Oops. Here we go. Now, that's a lot of statistics. Let me tell you some real-life stories. Last summer, when I first started this job with Thornwell, uh, a 15-year-old girl was just admitted with her infant child. And a lot of people get judgmental about that and say, well, you know, she was out being troublemaker and all, not doing what she was supposed to do. Well, the reality is, is that they both share the same father. And he's in jail, 
and then she's now placed at Thornwell, and they're raising, raising those two, two kids there. That's the real-life story. Just last summer, we opened up Brian Mack Cottage. And on the day that we opened it up, we took in 10 brothers and sisters who had been removed by the state two months earlier. And what's one thing foster families typically can't do? They can't take in 10 people, right? They were placed over six different counties. So all 10 brothers and sisters were over six different counties for two months. We opened up a new cottage. They all came in to Brian Mack on the day we opened it up. Why, why were they removed? They were being locked in the attic by their Ukrainian father, uh, and they would only be brought out of the attic when the father decided he wanted to have some entertainment, whether that was physical abuse of all kinds. And if I want to be really direct, the girls got to come out more from the, from the attic. Those are the real-life stories that we deal with at Thornwell. And here's where you guys come in. That's Thornwell, the home in Clinton, South Carolina. But a couple years ago, Thornwell decided um, we're doing really well at taking children who are broken and providing them hope, providing them structure. And we, it's called the family teacher model, and it works really, really well. And Thornwell felt like if we're doing something really well, it's our calling to take that out into the world. And so we started a program called Building Families. What Building Families is, is we find a partner church, and we place one of our master social workers in that church office. They become part of your team and part of your staff, and that person receives referrals from families that are in trouble. Their kids have not been removed yet, but they're in trouble. It could be grandparents having trouble with their teenage girl, grandkid. I mean, it could, all kinds of stories where it's just, you know, it's just a troubled situation. And our, our staff person will go with that family and work with them for 10 to 15 hours per week for 15 weeks. They go to the soccer field, the football field, Walmart. They go to school. They go into their homes where the behavior happens. And they train them. They give them the skills to help them learn how to be better parents and better kids. And it keeps the kids and the families together. You do realize that often, we, for those of you who are parents, you do realize that often we parent the same way we were parented. We, how many of you have ever said, I'm becoming like my mother or my father? <laughs> right? And so when you're, often when you're parented very badly, you pass that on to a generation. Not always. Sometimes you escape it, but often you pass it on. And I'll tell you a story about that. We had a seven-year-old boy uh, who had been at Thornwell for a week. And after a week, his family teacher said, child, what do you like about Thornwell? He said, what I like about Thornwell is that when I grow up and I have kids and I beat my wife and I beat my kids, they'll have a place to go. Seven years old. Seven years old. Building families gets ahead of that problem. And so when we go into a family's life and we change them, we also change the next generation and the next generation. And guess who was the very first church in the state of Florida to start a building families program? You. You. You are the leaders in that, and Morgan Edney is uh, the staff person, and she works out of an office here, and it's because of your generosity, and it's because of when um, Elliot Smith, our president, spoke a year or two ago, you, several of you got really excited and pushed it and said, we want to we do that. And so on behalf of all the families that Morgan's helping, 
And on behalf of all the families that we help at Thornwell, thank you. Thank you for being the leader. Good news, um, we're going to be in every single presbytery in the Synod by the end of the decade. And through our work, we've already have two more programs funded in Tampa Bay Presbytery. One's probably going to be in St. Pete, and one's probably going to be either in Tampa or Clearwater. One of those two areas. They're already funded. We just have to hire the person and get a partner church. We're ready to go. So that's building families and what Thornwell is up to these days. Well, how can all of that happen? It can only happen because you all get this. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with what? Actions and in truth. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our you guys are sacrificing because you guys know. Remember I said in Romans chapter 8, I stopped before the good part and I, I left, left it with the question of what shall separate us from the love of God? Shall nakedness, peril, or sword? We stop there. Well, for a lot of those kids at Thornwell, they, they answer all those things that happened to me have separated me from the love of God. But you guys know the answer, don't you? What shall separate us from the love of God? What does Paul say? For I am convinced. I am sold out certain that what nothing and some of you are like we've already discovered some of you are stubborn aren't they read <laughs> so let me break nothing down for you not one thing nothing separates us from the love of god and we are called in truth and in action to go through how hard it is, but to love our brothers and our sisters with actions and in truth. I'll close with this story. Every year I go up to Thornwell, and I, I just, I'm, I'm just connected with Ferguson Cottage. And Ferguson Cottage is fourth and fifth grade boys, and they are wild. <laughs> they just full of energy. Just a lot of, I mean, if you've ever dealt with fourth and fifth grade boys, they're just full of energy. Well, my first year up there, I met a kid named Nathaniel. And Nathaniel was from the sticks of South Carolina. I mean, I'm from Georgia. I have a southern accent, and I typically can decipher which planet you're from if you speak southern. Um, but this boy, man, you're listening to him, and I'm like, what are you saying, boy? <laughs> he is from the sticks of South Carolina. And he's really shy. he was really shy the first year I met him. So a year later, I go back, um, and we're having dinner in the cafeteria, and his family teacher says, Nathaniel, tell Pastor Dennis your good news. And he beamed up with just full of confidence, and I can't do, this, I can't do it as Southern as he does. So just imagine your biggest Southern accent possible. And he says, I'm going to a new family. I've got a, I'm being adopted in Charleston, me and my sister. Uh, once, this was in April. Once the school year's out, I'm going to be adopted, and I have a new family. That's great, Nathaniel. That's just awesome. So we got done eating. We throw our paper plates away in the thing, and uh, we're getting ready to leave, and I kind of get down eye to eye to him. And I said, Nathaniel, I want you to know something. God has always been with you, and God always will be with you. You know what that kid did? He looked at me, and he said, I know that. He had great family teachers at, at Thornwell that just instilled a spirituality in him. Now, here's the thing. I know the story of Nathaniel and his sister and, 
and how they came to Thornwell, and I pro- it's awful. It's awful. But for him to say, God was with me during that, God was with me here in Thornwell, and God's going with me in the future, that's, all, that, that's awesome. That he was able to, like, like it was the sky is blue. Duh, I know that. That's the power of practicing love, even when it's hard. Dear, dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with and in truth. Thank you for being actions and helping work with the children who suffer when love is hard. Would you join me for a word of prayer? Lord God, again, we pray that you spoke to us today and that you will allow us to leave this place challenged, to put into practice actions, love, 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 love. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.